Hey everyone, and welcome back to Rice and Shine, a show looking at life through the perspective of four Asian American teens living in the Pacific Northwest. But today, it is just me, Lauren, and we decided to start a new series called Cultural Connections, where we talk about connections or reconnections we've had with our cultures, whether that be through travel, through talking to family, through learning new things, whatever. And so we figure this is good, especially since it's getting to the time of year where we are all very busy in our junior year. So this week, it is my turn to talk about how I went to Japan over our midwinter break. My family and I, we specifically went to Hokkaido, which is the north of Japan, to ski. And in Hokkaido, we went to um, the Rusutsu Resort, and we also went to Furano. And then we also stopped in Asahikawa, which is where one of our family friends lives. It was really interesting to talk to our family friend because he is Australian and he worked with my parents for a really long time and decided to move to Japan. And we talked to him about it and we asked like, oh, why did you decide to do it? And he said, because nothing is going to force you to do whatever it is you want to do. You have to go and actively pursue yourself, which I thought was a really good sentiment. But he's fully Australian. He's white. And it was really interesting because we'd go out to dinner or whatever and the waiter would start talking to my dad because he looks Asian. And my dad would just be like, uh-huh, like kind of just nodding along, saying yes to everything. But then um, Jules, who's our, who is our family friend, he would be he would respond like in perfect Japanese. And I think it was just really interesting to see. And it was really interesting to see how like my dad thought about it, too, because he's the most Asian out of all of our family. And he I don't think he knows that much Japanese, if any. Um, because he grew up in the farmlands of Minnesota. And my grandpa immigrated here from Japan. I don't know. He's very, he loves America, I guess. And I don't think he ever taught any of the kids Japanese. And because they were in like rural farmland of Minnesota, they like didn't have connections with many other Asian families. They couldn't get any like cultural foods. And so I think that was really interesting to see how he re- reacted to it, back to my point, because he, like, he gave this very, like, convincing um, response whenever people would talk to him, because they'd just go off and be like, oh, so, like, they'd be, like, giving gestures and whatever, my dad be like, hi, hi, like, which is, yes. And I don't know, I think it's interesting because it was so convincing and that everyone just kind of expected to him to, which kind of made me think about more like, you know, what is he thinking in these situations? Is it kind of, you know, I wish I were able to speak Japanese or, you know, I'm kind of just going with the flow right now. And I think it's really interesting to see your parents, especially if, you know, you're mixed like I am, interact in a place where they're from. And whether like... He's not necessarily from Japan, but he has Japanese blood. And it's interesting to see our different reactions because my brother and I, I think we're pretty into our Japanese heritage, but growing up, my dad, I don't think he was ever that, you know, ecstatic that he was Asian. He grew up in a time and place where it wasn't necessarily cool to be Asian like it is today, or at least where we're from. But I guess it was just kind of a way for me to, you know, have that like connection with my dad and also see his connection with Japan and how that went over. But anyway, we went there to ski, so I think it was really interesting to see the difference in, like, ski culture between, you know, like, um, America and also Canada and Japan. Because I feel like the ski towns I've been to, like, 
Whistler in Canada, there's kind of, like, a party element to it. Like, after you're done, you're going to go and, like, if you're, like, of age, go and grab drinks with your buddies. And I think that's kind of, like, part of the fun for it. But for Japan, I didn't really notice there was that much going on in that scene because everywhere we skied, we skied at Furano and Rusutsu. Um, Furano's, like, a pretty small town. Like, there was, like, the town center where there were the hotels and there were a few restaurants. And you'd go, like, I'd say, like, five miles outside of there, and it was farmland. And it was just so different from what you'd see at a ski play, ski resort in the U.S. I think my parents were saying, like, the only place I could really draw a comparison to in that kind of scope is, like, Jackson, Wyoming. And Rusutsu was really surprising because it's super undeveloped. And... If you, like, look up Japan skiing, it's known for Japao, which is Japan powder snow, because it's, like, some of the best in the world, some people say. And if you watch ski movies, people are going there. It's re- it's pretty well known, but it's so underdeveloped, because there's only, like, three hotels, a convenience store, and a couple restaurants. And if you want to, like, go somewhere in between the hotels, you have to go through this place called Daniel Street, which is one of the weirdest things I have ever encountered. Just think of, like, Disneyland meets Chuck E. Cheese inside of a hotel. And Daniel Street connects all the hotels, pretty much. And inside Daniel Street, there's, like, a carousel, an arcade, different, like, souvenir shops. And it has, like, these little, like, characters as the mascots. One of them being Daniel, hence Daniel Street. And it kind of became like a little inside joke between my family because it was just so bizarre and so different to see from what we were used to for ski resorts. Because normally, like, if you take a ski day in Canada or a ski day in Japan, like Rusutsu, and you take Whistler, like you take your average day, you get up, you get breakfast, you go ski. You come down on the gondola if you're in Whistler. You come down and automatically there's super loud music playing. People are dancing. People are, you know, getting their beers. People are going to these restaurants. Um, And then you take Rusutsu. You get off the gondola and you kind of got to like hike back over to your hotel. And once you're there, you go back and let's say you want to go to dinner. You have to walk through Daniel Street, possibly take the monorail that's like connected through there to go to your dinner spot. And that was just so weird to me because it's like the marketing, I guess, because Whistler, it's very much marketed to young adults, hence like the bar scene. Um, But Rusutsu, very much marketed to younger kids, which we later learned is because Rusutsu in the summer, I don't think they do mountain biking like a normal ski hill because in the summer it's an amusement park like Disneyland. And so if you're going down some of the runs, you'll, like, ski past a Ferris wheel, which was pretty cool. Um, But on the inside of the buildings, they needed something to do with it. So they turned it into this, like, Chuck E. Cheese meets, like, shopping in Disneyland kind of vibe. And it's just, it's so, it was just so bizarre to me. Because those two, in my mind, if you're in the U.S., they don't cross over. If you're going to go to an amusement park, it's going to be in somewhere like Florida or California where there's like pretty much zero skiing. And if you're trying to go skiing, it's not going to be in a place where there's like a well-known amusement park that has like the essence of like Five Nights at Freddy's and Chuck E. Cheese. 
So I think that was one main thing that was really striking to us. And Daniel Street kind of became like an inside joke between our family, just when things are so like, you expect it to be like super cool and then it turns out to be like really weird. If you want more on like Daniel Street and you want more on like this whole Japan experience, um, I'm putting together a vlog for my cousin. He has a YouTube channel called The Bell Tree and the video will be there. I mean, I'm not quite sure how long it's going to take to be up, but we'll post when it is. Yeah, so look forward to that. As I mentioned, the two ski hills we went to were in Hokkaido, Japan, which is different from, you know, where Tokyo and Kyoto are, which is what I guess Japan's known for. Tokyo's the capital, and it's the um, upper island. So Japan kind of looks like a dragon if you look at it on a map, and so this is like the head of the dragon. There are definitely a lot of differences between Hokkaido and Honshu, which is the main island, and some of the differences we noticed were like mainly food-based. So Hokkaido is really known for its milk, and we weren't quite sure why. I personally don't drink milk, but my mom really enjoyed it, and she was just like, it's just so different, it's so much better. And also potatoes are really popular. They'll try to serve french fries with every meal. Like, it sounds crazy, but I'm not even joking. But it's not like mcdonald's french fries it's like where they're cut cut up into like little triangles kind of um but we later learned we talked to our family friend jules about it and he said that's because they sent american agricultural scientists into uh, hokkaido to try and develop the agriculture industry which and that's why hokkaido is known for like it's seafood for one and also the milk and the potatoes it's because it was a kind of a collaboration if you will between um the people of Hokkaido and the American agricultural scientists which I thought was really interesting but another like food-based thing I noticed is that oolong tea is really popular and so if you like ask for hot tea at a Japanese restaurant you'll usually get like Again, my cha, which is like a roasted rice tea, or like a hoji cha, which is like a roasted green tea. Um, but in Hokkaido, whenever you ask for tea with your meal, it's always oolong tea. I know oolong tea is everywhere. I'm not quite sure why. It might be like the same kind of reasoning with the agricultural scientists. But that was one main thing that kind of was striking to me. One thing Japan is known for is their konbini, which is basically like a convenience store. So they have like 7-Eleven which is completely different from American 7-Eleven. Like, if you said, oh, I'm going to go get some food at 7-Eleven in America, like, you'd be crazy. But if you said, I'm going to go get some food in at 7-Eleven in Japan, it'd be like, okay, yeah. And they also have, beyond 7-Eleven, they have Lawson Station and Family Mart. And in Hokkaido, they have Seiko Mart. And so all of these konbini, they have, like, you know... If you've seen, like, the fun little Japanese sandwiches or they'll have rice balls, that like, it's kind of just, like, a grocery store almost, but it's much more accessible. Some of them sell stationery and, like, magazines and all that kind of stuff. But the Hokkaido-only one is called Seiko Mart, and I think it's pretty similar to the rest of them. Honestly, like, I might get some backlash for this, but I think they're all very, very similar. Um... But our family friend Jules, he said that he's tried the fried chicken from every single konbini and that Seikomar is the best. So, I don't know, keep your eyes open. If you're if you're trying to do a little, like, fried chicken taste test, go for it. It was really interesting going to Japan and specifically Hokkaido because the last time I was in Japan, 
I was 12 years old, and me and my family, we basically did, like, a little tour of Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, and then we later went up to, um, not Hokkaido, but, like, a little bit south of it is Yamagata, which is where my family's from, and so we were able to meet, like, all our great aunts, all our great uncles, my dad's cousins, and that was really cool, but I was, I was talking to my parents, and I was like, it's really interesting to think about it now versus then, because... Now I kind of understand what's going on in the world, you know, and I see that, you know, like Japan isn't perfect. And I realized that that I kind of like idolized Japan and my mom was talking to us and she's like, would you move here if you had the chance? I was like, yeah, maybe just for like a few months. But like, I wouldn't want to spend my whole life here. And if you asked me that question when I was like 12 going to Japan for the first time, I'd be like 100 percent I want to go. And in the past episode, I talked about how I had stopped learning Japanese and my, me and my dad were talking about it, like, when we were about to go on the trip, and he was like, oh, yeah, so I told Jules that, like, you're you're really good at Japanese, and I was like, what? I stopped studying, like, two years ago, and it was kind of difficult, because I used to know so much, and I used to be able to, like, hold a conversation with people, and I've lost almost all of it, and that was kind of something I had to accept, and in the past episode, I talked about focusing on French more than Japanese and how that kind of like stole all my Japanese knowledge away from me. But regardless of all that, I still had a really great time. And I think it was really great to go back to Japan as an older person and to, you know, kind of experience what I did back then and more, but from, you know, having lived a little bit more life. But yeah, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to tune in to the other's episodes. This one might not have been the greatest, but it was our first trial run at this. So make sure to let us know if you want more of this. We have an Instagram at Rice and Shine Podcast. We have an email at riceandshinepod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.